So we uh, start together this new series called uh, Real, with uh, looking at the theme of strength today. Uh, I don't know whether you saw, I think it was on TV a few months ago, certainly last year at some point, there was a, a program called On Thin Ice, which uh, followed James Cracknell and Ben Fogel as they set off on another of their adventures. I don't know whether anybody saw that series, but you know who I mean. James Cracknell, the Olympic rower, won lots of gold medals, and uh, Ben Fogel, the TV presenter. And you know, in the past, they've uh, rowed together across the Atlantic on one of their madcap uh, adventures. Well, this time, they uh, went into a, a race to trek to the South Pole. And uh, uh, actually, there were three of them in the end. They found another team member. And on thin ice, the television program uh, followed them as they went on this trek to the South Pole. Now, before it all began, uh, everybody, I think including the team and uh, James Cracknell himself, and certainly everybody watching the program, assumed that James Cracknell would be the strong one. Because, you know, he's a, he's a huge man as an Olympic rower. Uh, I guess, I don't know how much you know, but I think rowing is certainly one of the most physically demanding uh, sports that there are. And so he's a, an incredible physical specimen, very strong, very muscly, very uh, aerobic, you know, can take lots of air in and, and all of that kind of stuff. So everybody assumed he was going to be the one that would be the strong one that uh, he would make it, that uh, the rest would have to keep up with him. And certainly as the whole thing begins, he's certainly the one who's pushing everybody else to uh, walk further, to get up earlier in the morning, to trek for as many kilometers per day as they can possibly imagine. But actually, as the program goes on, it's really interesting because he starts to encounter more and more problems. First of all, his feet start getting very blistered and he doesn't take care of them properly. So he's in incredible physical pain. Actually, he doesn't always get along very well with his teammates. So you can sort of imagine, reading between the lines, he's not actually that uh, uh, easier person to get along with because he's so driven. He wasn't very truthful with them about his condition. He wasn't real with them. And all of that leads to, ultimately, him breaking down. And it's the others who have to be strong for him. And there's a very real possibility partway through the series that he won't be able to continue, that the doctors will say he has to stop and that he can't keep going to the South Pole. And he puts the whole trip in jeopardy, the whole team in jeopardy. Now, eventually he's cleared to carry on, but I think, and you see it in the program, he learns a real lesson about what true strength really is. Now, what we want to do in this series is be real. Be real uh, and engage with the reality of life. I, I don't know whether this is your experience, but uh, sometimes I get to go to other churches and hear other sermons. And very often when I hear them, I ask myself, what is this person talking about? Because although I might understand what they're saying... I have no idea how it has any connection with my life, how it is in any way relevant to what I'm experiencing or what my friends are experiencing. I think to myself very often when I hear those kinds of sermons, this is not real. This is some kind of academic discourse about some Bible passage or something to do with God, but it's not real. It doesn't connect with the reality of life. And so often, when I experience that, I think, what a tragedy this is. And how far removed this is from Jesus. Because, you know, Jesus 
engaged and connected and talked about real things. He talked about the reality of people's lives. Jesus himself was a real person. He encountered real life with all its joys and sorrows and difficulties. And so in this series, we want to get real, to talk about real life and some of the things that we can find to help us in it. And we want to be real, in our own minds and hearts at least, about who we really are and what we're really experiencing and what we really need and what God really asks of us and what we can really do to connect and engage with him better. One day Jesus was talking and debating with people about real life issues. He was talking about taxes and money and marriage. And he doesn't sort of get more down and dirty and real than those topics, does it? Taxes, money and marriage. And Jesus is talking about these things. And somebody hears him talking about them. He's described in the Bible as a teacher of the law. So some kind of religious person hears him talking about these things. And uh, the Bible says that he heard them debating And noticing that Jesus had given a good answer, this man goes up to Jesus and says, I've noticed that you've given a good answer. Can you tell me, please, answer this question, what is the greatest commandment of all? Now, as a teacher of the law, this man would have known all about the Ten Commandments and all about the Old Testament law. So he goes up to Jesus and he says, well, which one is the most important? Which of all these laws is the most important? And uh, Jesus turns to him and says, the most important commandment is this love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength not quite in that order let me read it so that i get it quite right it says this jesus says the most important one is this Hear, O israel the lord our god the lord is one love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength jesus says this is the most important commandment of all and then what's interesting you can read this by the way in mark's account of jesus life chapter 12 what's interesting to me is how the teacher of the law responds he says well said teacher the man replied you are right in saying that god is one and there is no other but him and i can imagine jesus at this point having a wry smile jesus who is god uh, has somebody who's just a teacher about god coming up saying well said old man that's the kind of Uh, phraseology we get here, well said, teacher. And Jesus says, I'm so pleased you approve, because that's really what I was looking for, your approval, when I answered this question. And Jesus says, uh, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. If we want to ensure we are close to the kingdom of God, that we are living in the kingdom of God, this is the commandment that we need to make sure above all others that we keep. We are loving the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And that is the basis of this series. So you can see, today we're talking about strength. Next week we're talking about soul. The week after we're talking about heart. We're going to learn together more about how we love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And that story about James Cracknell, when I was thinking about it, preparing for today, I thought, that's a really interesting, it poses a really interesting question. What is strength? What is strength? What is the strength that is being talked about here? Because James Cracknell is the one you'd have thought would have been strong. 
And actually, it's the others in the group who turn out to be strongest. And by strength here, we're not really talking about, well, we're not talking about physical strength. We're talking about something different. Now, I know many of you have heard me before tell the story of when I got stuck in a toilet on an aeroplane. Uh, and I, I was, it's a story about strength and its inability to help in that situation. I was coming back from America where I'd been on uh, business and uh, I was just freshening up after a, a night on the plane and we were about an hour or so away from landing and they were about to serve breakfast. And so I went to the loo and I did all of that and then uh, opened the, the thing on the slidey thing, you know, on an airplane toilet door and pushed and it didn't move. Uh, you will have never noticed this because you'll have never had this problem, but it turns out in airplane toilets there's a little button you can push to summon a steward or a stewardess. And so I pushed the button and nobody came. And in the end I had to resort to yelling, <laughs> help, from within inside this uh, airplane toilet. And eventually a stewardess appears on the other side of the door, and I said, she says, what's the problem? <laughs> I said, well, I'm stuck in the loo. And uh, she said, well, you push from your side, and I'll pull from my side. And uh, I don't know how physically strong I am, but, you know, if I've got my weight behind something, I think that's a reasonable amount of strength to be applying to something. Reasonably large chap, as you can tell. And uh, so I pushed with all of my might and with all of my strength, and that must be quite a lot. I reckon. And uh, so I pushed with all my might on the door. She was much slimmer, but she pulled with all her might on the other side of the door, and it did not budge. And I don't know whether you know this, but when you're in an airplane toilet, when you slide the slidey thing, two bolts go up. I learned all this. Two bolts go up, top and bottom of the door. And they're like big, thick steel things. And so the door will not budge. And so she said, well, this clearly isn't working. I'm sorry, sir. I'll go and call the flight engineer. So she appeared back about five minutes later. She said, I'm terribly sorry. The flight engineer can't come right now. He's got some important navigational things to do. So for me, I did realize there was a choice between getting me out of the toilet or navigating the plane to safely land at its destination, which I thought kind of was a little bit more important. Eventually, he came with a crowbar. I don't know whether you know this, but they have crowbars on 747s. Uh, I don't know whether it's just for this sort of thing or whether there's other uses for a crowbar on a 747. Uh, maybe get the wheels down or something if they won't go down. But uh, he managed to, he said, he said, just trust me. This is the flight engineer, just trust me. So, okay, he said, stand well back from the door. <laughs> What's he going to do? So, <laughs> but uh, he managed to crow, I trusted him, and he managed to crowbar the door open. And see, my toilet problem was not solved with physical strength. It was solved by trusting in somebody else. And it's that kind of strength that we're talking about today. Not physical strength, not the kind of uh, strength that uh, I might have been able to apply or James Cracknell was able to apply to a problem or a situation. We're not talking about physical strength. And we're not talking about strength as the world perceives it. Godly strength, or the kind of strength we're talking about today, where we can love the Lord our God with all of our strength and live in the light of that, is not strength as we might perhaps define it, or the world might define it. It's a different kind of strength. And you know, it's the strength that is rooted in trust. It's strength that's rooted in trust. So the questions I have for us this morning are these. Where do you find strength? Where do you find the strength to navigate the journey of life? Maybe you don't, or maybe right now you don't feel like you have a lot of that kind of strength. 
Maybe you feel you aren't coping well. Today I want to investigate where we can find the strength that we need, the strength to persevere, the strength to keep our faith when everything's falling apart, the strength to resist temptation and to live life to the full, the strength to pursue God's calling, the strength to live a life of purpose and passion. Where do we find this strength? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. But I want to go back to realizing that Jesus was a real human being. Jesus was fully God. We talk about him being God, being God's son, taking on all the attributes of God, being God sent to earth so we could know what God is like. And that is true. Jesus was fully divine, fully God. If we want to know what God is like, we just have to look to him. But he was also, and very often we forget this, completely human, fully human. That meant he experienced the kinds of things we experience. And you only have to read his story in the Bible to encounter Jesus experiencing joy and laughter and parties and uh, weddings and feasts and banquets and enjoying himself and enjoying all of that. And then you only have to read the Bible to find he also experienced grief and pain and sorrow and sadness. And there's a passage I want to look at this morning that in which we find Jesus encountering sadness, pain, and betrayal. And it's from John's account of Jesus' life, chapter 13. And it's the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And it goes, I'm just going to read a few verses from the whole story. If you want to read the whole story, you can do that in your own time after this morning. But I'm just going to read a few verses from it. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God, and he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And then the story goes on. Jesus uh, washes the disciples' feet. He then goes on to uh, predict his betrayal. And uh, they ask him, the disciples sitting around at this meal, they say, well, Lord, who is it? Who's going to betray you? And Jesus says, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. So Judas goes off to betray Jesus, and then Jesus carries on talking to the disciples And he says, you know, where I'm going now, which he's talking about going to the cross, where I'm going now, you can't follow me. And Peter, always impetuous, was Peter. Peter says this, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. See, in this story in this passage we see that Jesus is right in the middle of being betrayed and denied and and I think it's very difficult when you're reading to sort of get 
the emotion with which Jesus was saying these things. But I think you can read here, and I think you can sense the sadness. You can sense the sadness in some of the things that Jesus says. He is being betrayed and denied. And two of the people right at the center of this, Judas and Peter, were two of the people he trusted more than anybody else. See, uh, the passage that I read tells us that Judas was the one who looked after the money. So of this group of disciples, over three years they'd been together, Judas was kind of the treasurer of the group. Judas was the one who had been trusted with the money. Now, can you imagine the level of trust you'd have in somebody to make them overseeing all of the finances? That would be a pretty significant level of trust, wouldn't it? You don't just trust anybody with your money. And so Judas would have been highly trusted, highly respected by Jesus to be given this responsibility. And yet he is the one who is now about to go away and betray Jesus to death. Betray Jesus to death. And then there is Peter, and um, uh, he was originally called Simon. And the reason Jesus changes his name to Peter, or Simon Peter, was because Peter means the rock. And if you, I don't know whether you know this encounter, but Jesus one day is talking to Peter, and he says, Peter, you're the one. I'm going to call you Peter from now on, which means the rock, because you are going to be the rock on which I am going to build my church. You're going to be the one who's going to kick all of this off. Can you imagine the level of trust that that would have taken for Jesus in Peter to have said that? So it's possible that these two men were two of the most trusted of all of Jesus' followers. The rock, the one on whom he was going to build his church, and the one who looked after the money. And it's these two, one who would betray Jesus to death, and the other who would deny even knowing him. Can you imagine the sadness and the pain that Jesus would have felt at this moment? See, Jesus was fully human, as well as being fully God. So he felt these things. He understands. So if you've ever been betrayed, or you've ever felt that kind of pain, know this, Jesus felt it too. And he understands. And so I asked myself, where did Jesus find the strength then? In the midst of these real human emotions of sorrow and sadness, of betrayal, of being denied, of pain and suffering, where did he find the strength? Where did he find the strength to persevere? Where did he find the strength and the will to keep going? Where did he find the strength to deal with the betrayal and the denial? Where did he find the strength to deal with his doubt and his fear? Because the story goes on from here to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and you can't read that story except that see that Jesus had huge doubts and huge fears about what was to come when he was to go to the cross. How did Jesus deal with that? Where did he find the strength to deal with that? Where did he find the strength to wash his disciples' feet? Uh, That was a really humiliating task. Where did he find the strength to do that? Where did he find the strength to be a servant first, despite the fact that he was God? Where did he find the strength to go to the cross, despite his fears and his doubts? Well, the answer, I'm certain, is in that very last verse that I read, where Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Another way of saying that, I think, is... Find the strength to keep going. Find the strength to persevere. Do not let your hearts be troubled. How? Trust in God. Trust also in me. Trust is the key to finding the strength. 
Trust in God. And that's why Jesus commands those disciples and us to do the same, to trust in God and to trust in him. Jesus trusted his father. He had a relationship of trust with God. Here's an interesting question, by the way, which needs some more debate than we've got time for today. Did Jesus always understand God's purposes? Did Jesus always understand his father's purposes? I'm not sure that he did. And yet he had enough trust in his father to keep going, to do God's will, even though he might not have always understood. I think in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had serious questions about whether he was really understanding God's purpose correctly. But he carried on, and the key was his trust in the Father. That's where Jesus found his strength, is in his trust in God. So the question today is, what about us? Where do we find this same kind of strength? Well, for me, the key for us is trust too. Trust in God. How do we build trust? Trust in God. Well, I have five suggestions for you, and they all begin with R. And these are the five R's of building trust in God. The first one is to remember. Remember what God has done. In the Old Testament, God's people, the people of Israel, whenever something, or very often when something very significant happened for them, uh, God said, build a kind of monument thing, like a pile of stones or something like that. Build something like that so you can remember what I've done. When God parted the River Jordan and the people went across and got to the other side, the first thing God had them do was build a monument so they could remember this miracle that God had done. Why? so that it would grow their level of trust. We want to grow our trust in God. We have to remember what God has done. The next R is to reflect on who God is. Reflect on who God is. That whole Toward Wonder series we did before Christmas was to encourage us to reflect on who God is and on the tremendous wonders that are all around us. Pause for a moment and reflect on who God is as a way of building trust. Restore is the third R. What do you need to do with God to restore your relationship with him? Maybe you have doubts about him. Maybe you feel far away from him. Maybe you don't have a relationship with him. Maybe you feel let down by him. Restore. Spend some time restoring your relationship with God. Maybe you feel separated from God by some sin or something that's going on in your life that you know is not of him. Speak to him, talk to him, ask for his forgiveness, restore. The next one is to relate. Relate with your relationship with God. Spend time with God. Read this, not this particular one because it's mine, but read the Bible. If you want to build your relationship with God, first place to turn is this. Because it's here where we find out about him. And maybe as we head into this new year, it might be a great chance for you to resolve again to read this more. And it doesn't have to be complicated. It could be a few verses a day, a few verses every other day. Read this thing. Because this is the way we find out about who God is. How we can relate to him. If you need help with that, speak to me afterwards. And we've got some resources that can help you. Talk to him, engage with him, listen to him. 
And then the final R, because it's the first Sunday of the new year, and because it begins with R, resolve. Resolve to grow your relationship with God by doing some of these things. Resolve to build a significant degree of trust by doing these things. This is the challenge for us as we head into the new year. To love the Lord our God with all of our strength. And to do that, we have to build trust. And we need to work at it. And these R's can help us do that. I think this would be life-changing for us. To have the strength, not physical strength, but the strength of character to trust in God. That's how we start to love him with all of our hearts. That's how we start to feel closer to him. That's how we start to relate to him, to grow our trust in him. And that will give us the strength of mind, the strength of character, that no matter what life throws, we have a foundation and a rock upon which to throw ourselves. And that can only come through building trust in God and to live with this kind of strength.